Welcome to Leading Simple with Rusty George. Our goal is to make following Jesus and leading others a bit more simple. Here's your host, Rusty George. Hey everybody, welcome to Leading Simple, where we're helping the overwhelmed. And if you are a church leader that is overwhelmed with all of the stuff you need to do, think about, process, and certainly navigate post-COVID life, Rich Birch is your man. Uh, He is an incredible pastor, thought leader, podcaster, author, and has an incredible resource and ministry known as unseminary.com. He has worked with Conexus Church in Ontario, uh, North Point Community, a strategic partner, and also the Meeting House in Toronto, uh, which became a leading multi-site church in Canada with over 5,000 people in 18 locations. His book, Church Growth Flywheel, is a must-read. Five Practical Systems to Drive Growth at Your Church. It's an Amazon bestseller and is designed to help your church reach more people in your community. And even if you're not a church leader, I think you're going to really enjoy my conversation with Rich. Today we're sponsored by Red Letter Challenge, one of the best devotionals out there, one of the best ones I've ever read. And it basically takes the words of Jesus, puts it into five simple steps, which makes it very, very easy to put into practice in your life. We're big on simple around here. That's why we're called Leading Simple. So just start today by taking the free Red Letter Challenge assessment or by browsing some of their favorite resources and blogs at redletterchallenge.com. Now, enjoy my conversation with Rich Birch. Well, Rich, great to have you finally on the podcast. As I was saying before we hit record, I feel like I know you because I've heard you on other podcasts and I have we have mutual friends. And uh, it's so, so good to have you. But for our listeners who may not know you, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. And obviously, the most exciting thing about you is you're Canadian. So, <laughs> Don't hold it against <laughs> me, though. <laughs> no, that's great. Rusty, I'm so honored that you'd have uh, have me on. And uh, yeah, I feel like we're like one or two relationships removed. We have a lot of common friends. And so it's fun to finally get a chance to connect a little bit, uh, even across the microphone and all that. So yeah, so been in, in uh, vocational ministry since the mid-90s, have spent most of my time in really three different churches. Uh, I am Canadian, as you as you said that. So a, a church in the greater Toronto area called The Meeting House, um, which pre-COVID had 22 campuses. And we were uh, one of the first churches in North America to go, uh, go multi-site. I remember when we started doing that in the early 2000s. I ran into a dozen other multi-site churches, and I was blown away that there were 12 others. Well, obviously now there's probably a thousand plus, someone like that across the country. Um, then for uh, a couple of years was with a mutual friend of ours, Carrie Newhoff, uh, was on the team there uh, at, at at Conexus. If you know any of his story, it was really as, as we were pivoting out of a mainline denomination and launching independently. And then for years was in New Jersey, the Manhattan-facing suburbs of New Jersey at a church called Liquid Church. So and, and, you know, it's funny being a Canadian, it's like you're the butt of like lots of jokes when you're Canadian. And then when you're from New Jersey, it's like every joke is every New York City comedy writer's joke is a shorthand about Jersey. People don't know why that's funny. It's just funny. And so I don't know what it says about me that that's kind of what I'm attracted to, just, you know, working and serving. But yeah, that's a little bit of my background and kind of where I've where I've been a part of ministry. You know, it's so funny you say that because you're right. I mean, I, I've never been uh, to Jersey. I haven't even been to New York. And yet everybody makes makes jokes and takes shots at Jersey. And I've never yes. understood why. I mean, they gave us Bon Jovi. I mean, how bad could it be? You know? 
It's true. Yeah, Jersey. Well, and I actually think people from Jersey kind of like that. Yeah. That they it's not actually a negative thing. Um, you know, it's like a, there's a certain amount of pride in the fact that uh, they're like the butt of every joke. But it is funny. It's like a, it's a shorthand that everybody seems to lo- laugh about but not really sure why that is. Right. Yeah, is exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it's funny. Well, yeah, and I think that's you know, moving to California and I've lived out here 18 years now. Um, I mm-hmm. now get, you know, a lot of the jokes that were on TV about Southern California and the five and the four hundred five right. and all the, the the crazy things people would say <laughs> that Hollywood got. Yes. And now that I live out here, I go, ah, oh, I know what that's funny now. So it makes sense. Yes, it's so funny because one of my running jokes with my my friends from California is they you talk about the highways all the time. Like you you just made the four hundred five joke. It's like every time I talk to somebody from you know Orange County or L.A. or yeah, really anywhere, it's like they're always talking about. Um, well, I got to go drive on this road and yeah, you know all that exactly. stuff. Exactly, just kind of funny. Exactly. A lot of time in the car in California. That's right, <laughs> and that's why everybody drives nice cars because it's pretty much their second yes. home. <laughs> Nice. Well, uh, you have written some great books um, that have been designed to help churches. Uh, Church Growth Flywheel, uh, I was commenting to you earlier, is one of my top 10. I just love that book. It's so practical for church leaders, for all church planners out there. This is a must. Unreasonable Churches, I thought was a really great highlight of just, as you said, w- you know how some would zig when others zag. I love that uh, subtitle. But a lot of this comes out of your, uh, your platform, Unseminary. Dot com mm-hmm. and the Unseminary podcast. Uh, tell us how you kind of got into that world of helping other churches and Unseminary, things Seminary didn't teach us, and then these resources mm-hmm. that are so great. Well, I'm, I'm a church leadership wonk. I could talk to church leaders all day long. Like I am just consummately fascinated with kind of all the iterations of the local church. And I, I really do believe that what we do in the local church is just so critically important. It is God's plan A for, uh, you know, for the restoration of humanity. And I don't think we can overstate that. And so I've always been kind of fascinated with the local church. And so one of the things I noticed is, um, you know, there's, there seems to be within growing churches, the things that that really separate growing churches from stagnant and decline, declining churches are often those things, ironically, that we don't teach in seminary, <laughs> that they're, it's like practical communication stuff. It's, um, you know, how do we motivate people? It's a number of uh, those kinds of issues. And so I just started trying to gather those ideas up as first as blog posts, and then eventually got into podcasting. And, um, and really, it's under that kind of rubric of, hey, what do we, uh, you know, what do we, what didn't they teach us in seminary that we need to know in ministry? But really, the drive of it is ultimately about church growth. It's about how do we reach other people? How do we um, see the message of Jesus impact more people in our communities? And uh, again, ironically, for whatever reason, that stuff just doesn't seem to be taught in seminary. And and you know this, Rusty, like so many times, it's like a a running gag with people who work in the local church. They'll they'll often say, well, they didn't teach me that in seminary. Like, you know, I, you know, I find myself and it's, it's like shorthand for, I I found myself in a situation I don't really know about what I'm supposed to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, they didn't teach me that in seminary. So that's, that's really where the idea for unseminary came. So we're over 500 interviews in, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's fantastic. It's, I love it. And again, I, even if no one was listening for years, I used to joke when people would tell me like, Oh, like I listen to your podcast. I always joke. I'd say, Oh, you and my mom. Cause it, it felt, it feels like that for a long time. Uh, but even if it was just my mom listening, I'd still love to talk to church leaders. Cause I, again, just find it so fascinating to learn, uh, and to grow as a leader by listening to others. Right. Right. I, I totally agree. Um, I, I feel like the podcast has been an excuse for me 
to have conversations with people that maybe I wouldn't normally have or uh, so true. Um, I wouldn't be able to have. And so this is a, has been really fun for me and, and our listeners have have, uh, have been kind enough to uh, continue listening. Uh, you, you know, you, <laughs> you talk about what we didn't learn in seminary. I was laughing about that because I don't think when I did my term paper on the two source theory of the gospels, uh, and the synoptics, if that had anything to do yeah. with how to navigate a church during the pandemic, uh, it right. just didn't seem to really matter. <laughs> so true. Um, what yeah. are you seeing right now? Church leaders, uh, you know, they're just overwhelmed. And, and to be honest, I'm really concerned about post pandemic for a lot of pastors, because I think there's yeah. a lot of pastors that are quitting, they're resigning, uh, they're, mm-hmm. they're giving into addictions they're making bad choices. Some are ending their lives. Um, mm-hmm. You know, a lot of the things that we viewed as success are no longer the metrics anymore. Uh, what are you seeing as uh, as the reality of church post COVID? That's a great question. So I, I do think you kind of intimate it to there. The biggest thing I'm seeing is I, I think we are going to see a huge transition in leaders and leadership in churches across the country mm-hmm. in the next call it 18 months to 24 months, uh, kind of as we're coming out, you know, I um, talk to enough senior leaders across the country that you just know that, that people are, are fried and frazzled. They've come to the end uh, of all of this. And in some ways we thought that maybe the hard part was the initial pivot back in March, 2020. But actually the thing we're realizing, I think increasingly is, oh, actually the hardest part of this is probably still to come. Like it's, it's, it's going to be a long road here. Um, you know, we, we're trying to figure out how to live a hybrid church world. We're trying to figure out, you know, that's called different things and different movements, omni-channel, this idea that, hey, we're trying to deliver what we've done. It, we used to just say we did it maybe online. We did it in person, maybe at a, at a few campuses. But now like online has become really fractured and there's lots of different ways we're delivering online. And then we're, we're trying to figure out what does in-person look like post all of this. And, um, and you know, I, so th- that has put a lot of pressure, particularly on senior leaders. And, and so I do think that, that we are going to see a transition, which I think really it's always been the case for all of us in the local church to be asking the question, what are we doing to replicate ourselves? How are we bringing other people along? How, how am I handing off ministry to the next generation? That's always been there, but I, I don't think that there's an even more urgent time than now to do that because of all the transition, I think that's on the, the horizon in our churches. You know, for a lot of church leaders, whether we knew it or not, uh, we were kind of addicted to the adrenaline of Sunday. Of, yeah, of, of the crowd, no matter how big it was, there's certain people you want to see. There's certain attaboys you get after a message. There's a certain way you know if that message was a home run or if it was a strikeout. Yes. Um, and, and that went away. It went away very, very quickly. Yeah. We were relegated to online. And so that was a huge hit. Well, now, I mean, we just, we just kind of got used to that. Now we're back to meeting again. The crowds aren't as large, the attaboys yeah. aren't as consistent. I mean, what are you seeing with pastors specifically that are just trying to have to figure out where does my adrenaline surge come from? Was that an idol I didn't know that I had? How should I kind of just even make sense of that in my own mind? Oh, that's a great question. So yeah, I definitely can identify with, uh, you know, the fun of the weekend. And, you know, I used to always joke, um, you know, I kind of liked when something would go wrong on the weekend. I kind of liked that adrenaline of like, oh, we got to fix it. Like, you know, if we, you know, we would have, if I was serving in a church with five, six, seven, eight campuses, uh, there was, there was this kind of weird thing where it's like, if something went wrong at a campus, 
and you know, I had to do some extra work, get on the phone, talk it all through. That was like a, that was an exciting thing. And like, I didn't actually, you know, I never really kind of pushed back against that. I was like, okay, we gotta, we gotta solve the problem and move forward. I do think a part of what we have to do, you know, how do we deal with this new reality is we have to continue to define the win for ourselves and for the team that we've got to relook at what is it that is success. I don't think any of us ever thought that full rooms was really what we were going for. That at the end of the day, if you were, you know, we we're all too good cr- of Christians to know that it's not about just jamming people into rooms, that we're actually looking for life transformation. We've always said that. Well, I think what's happened in the last year is we've been forced to actually re-ask all of those questions again and say, what does life transformation look like? What does engagement look like? How how are we moving people through, you know, whatever our process is to take people from they first walked in through to the fact that they're kind of full on, you know, fully devoted followers of Christ, whatever that looks like in your in your world. And we've got to get clear again on what some of those metrics are. Mm-hmm. What are those engagement metrics? And and realize it's not just about kind of filling up the room. It's not about just getting a crowd. It's we've got to go much more deeper than that. Yeah, I, I I love your your thinking there. And that's a that's a stark reality for a lot of us who are trying to kind of see things in a in a different light. Um I heard recently that Andy Stanley said to his staff, um, we have used, we used to think church was like, we're a barista. People come to us, we make their drink for them just the way they want it. And we're here when they need us. Now we have to think like a food truck. We have to go out Mm. and we have to meet people where they are. Um, you talk about this a little bit in church growth flywheel with kind of the massive community service projects. And I think a lot of churches have done that with a great day of service or, you know, we're going to do this one week to raise, get, to get backpacks for school or whatever. How have you seen churches start to do this on an ongoing basis to really adopt more of a food truck mentality instead of just a come and see mentality? Yeah, great question. So one of the things that when we've studied the fastest growing churches in the country, one of the things that came up repeatedly is that fast growing churches are consistently getting their people out of their seats and into the streets, that they're they're consistently finding ways. Uh, and, and it looks different in every location, but it has some similarities to it. It is um, this idea of motivating people to make a difference outside the walls of the church. So it's not about, hey, come and do like a work day at the church or like a, we're going to do something to you know, fix the building or whatever. It's it's like, let's go get out into the community and, and do something. And ultimately, um, the reason why that works from a church growth point of view is because people uh, love to tell their friends that they're a part of a church that's making a difference. And I would say that, uh, again, this is anecdotally, I don't have any great statistics on this, but over this last year, there have been so many more opportunities, you know, that have been you know, right in front of us, whether it's, um, you know, churches doing food distribution or churches using their parking lots for, um, you know, vaccine sites, or um, whether it's, you know, even some of the traditional stuff that we've seen in the past where it's like, um, you know, engaging with a battered women's shelter and renovating a space there. Um, In this season, it seems like we see more and more churches who have added this to their game. I think a part of the reason why that is, is because, uh, people, when they're coming back, when they're re-engaging with our churches, 
they're looking for some sort of social engagement that's that's more than what we can do on screen. That they're looking for an experience that's not not like I can just sit on my phone or uh, you know on a laptop and uh, and engage that way. They actually want some sort of deeper level of engagement. They want to actually do something. And that while that was always true pre-COVID, I think is doubly you know the case now. People are looking for these kinds of experiences. And like you say, whether it's a love week or whether it's a super Saturday service thing or um, you know, or a regular food distribution. Uh, I think we're seeing more of that across the country, or at least it, it could be just in the circles that I'm I'm swimming in. I see that I see an increase in that, which I think is a really good sign for our churches, because you know we see those things as um, a God thing. We think like God's called us to make a difference in in our community. He's He's called us to be to bring the kingdom and to do what we can to uh, to help the the marginalized in our communities our community sees it as a good thing. They're like, well, that's good. That's good that the church does that. Um, we don't want to get fought. We don't want to fight them over the semantics. We want to kind of create a common space through community service to ultimately make a difference in, uh, in our communities. And again, there's so much we could talk about there, mm. but I really do feel like this is, we're seeing more of that, uh, in this season. You know, I think that that element right there, um, of service in the community has always been a part of the local church. You go clear back to, you know, Rodney Stark's research in uh, the rise of Christianity. I mean, that's kind of how the the uh, the East was won, so to speak, how they changed the world. Um, and I think that my generation, I would assume your generation of Gen X, we were really kind of compelled by that as well as, a, you know, churches that do things rather than just teach things. Mm. Has it changed at all from Gen X to millennial to Gen Z as to what people are interested in, in doing? Cause there's a lot of ways to be active in your community. Now, a lot of nonprofits see a lot of, you know, GoFundMes and those kind of thing, crowdsource things online. How is it different now than maybe it was 10 years ago, 20 years ago in the church? Is it just that move from super Saturday into out in the community? Yeah, that's a great question. So I do think, um, so I, I was born in 1974, the lowest birth rate of the 20th century. I am classic Gen X. Mm. Uh, you know, I've spent, I had small classroom sizes. I was never, um, you know, have, and I felt like I've spent most of my ministry career engaging with boomers and trying to hand it off to, you know, whoever comes after. Um, and I, I, again, this would be more anecdotal, but as I engage with younger leaders, this there was a, a false dichotomy, I think, in previous generations that was probably caused by the, you know, the social justice movements, this kind of separation that happened in the, say, 40s and 50s post-World War II, where, um, and this maybe just get into much, you know, history wonk stuff kind of thing, but the kind of like fundamentalist, when that wasn't a strange word, when that was just like a normal word, a fundamentalist evangelical kind of departure saying, hey, we don't want to get tied up in all of that social justice stuff that it was like there was maybe a perception of like hey that's that's for whoever else so, you know liberal churches or or maybe our catholic brothers and sisters we'll let them do that but we're going to think the right thoughts about christianity and you know i would say early on in my ministry career as we pursued to trying to do more of this kind of get people out of their seats and into the streets there was like a almost like um a theological question that was being asked by 
by our seniors or by other folks saying like, is this the right thing to do? I don't hear that question being asked by younger leaders. I think that dichotomy, which was a false dichotomy, it was held by previous generations and isn't being held by, you know, millennials or, or Gen Z. I think there is a sense that like, Hey, the, the, we want to be a part of a church that makes an actual difference that is engaged in people's lives, uh, a tangible difference. And that isn't in contradiction to uh, the message of Jesus. It's not in contradiction to the teaching, you know, a solid, you know, teaching. But I, I do think that there is a, there's a passion for that now. And we see that in all kinds of statistics, even outside of church stuff around that gen, those generations wanting to be engaged. Some of it is sure it's, it's, um, it's maybe a shallow level of engagement because there's this idea of like, well, if I just like a post or if I share something that makes me feel good, that that is, you know, somehow that has kind of, you know, I've done my job. Um, <laughs> and I would say rather than fighting that, let's actually just go with that intention and say, hey, people are want to make a difference. Let's give them a path to do that um, and, and a, a platform to do that on. Um, mm. So, yeah, I don't that's maybe a few thoughts on that. No, I love that. I love that. And that was way off script, but I, uh, I just wanted to pick your brain on that. I think that's pretty fascinating. <laughs> 74, huh? That's, yep. that's great. So I, I love fellow Xers. There's so few of us, right? <laughs> it's true. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So not only are church leaders overwhelmed and trying to figure out post COVID, but so are church members mm-hmm. uh, are people who would consider themselves part of the local church. And let's be honest, um, I've heard our friend Carrie say that church used to be a five hour experience for me on Sunday. Now it's a half hour experience for me if I watch it at home. Right. Why should people who have gotten out of the habit of going to church and serving in a church, why should they go back to a church when they can watch it at home and they can be engaged in community activism and social justice right from the comfort of their own living room? Why go back to church now that they're open? Yeah, great question. So um, this is going to be uh, the question of probably the next two to five years. We're going to have to wrestle this one through and really help people, uh, you know, get a clear picture. So I, I guess I my thoughts on this go really in two different directions. Um, one, I would say to the person who would say, "Hey, I um, I am feel like I'm engaging fully in my church uh, through an online experience, and I continue to grow." Um, in my relationship with Jesus, I would say, wow, that's great. Be thankful that your church is engaging, um, you know, with you and has taken that step to, you know, to do that. But, but I would also challenge, um, folks that would say, you know, I'm just not sure I want to go back. Uh, one of the difficulties with the, the, or we'll say one of the downsides, the potential dark sides of our shift to online, and really our anytime the church overuses a, a consumer mindset or a, or kind of marketplace learnings to apply our church, one of the kind of the shadow sides of that can be that um, we just ask everything from the the the, um, the point of view of how does this help me? It it always is about what is good for me, and you know what that. I know, dear Christian, that isn't actually how you want to live. You don't want to actually live a life that is ultimately just asking the question, well, is this any good for me? Real life is found ultimately through um, asking the question, what's best for others? And and we see this time and again with Jesus. We see him time and again coming back to other-centered 
living that he ultimately talks about, you know, enemy centered love that, that we're, our job is actually to orient ourselves around the, the other people and to orient ourselves around the needs of other people. And so you might be listening in today and I would say, you know, the, the church needs you more, a lot more than you need the church. <laughs> you know, the church needs you to, to step in and say, I, I would love to c- create this experience for someone else. So, so my challenge th- for you would be this. I would say to you, man, we need you to engage. And if you're, if you want to be at home, that's fine. If you want to, you know, kind of fully engage online, that's fine. But I would challenge you to say, to reach out to your church and say, how can I help from here? What can I do from this location? How can I get involved in chat? What can I do to help with social media? How can I volunteer from home? And I guarantee you that some, whoever the person is at your church, you're going to reach out to, they'll help you find a way to get plugged in because they want to see you get plugged in. Um, they don't want you just kind of this, you know, you know, faceless, nameless person. And um, they want you to get plugged in. And then, you know, uh, we're going to need, all of our churches are going to need people to come back and serve um, in an in-person manner in, you know, our in-person services, probably before the general public will feel comfortable to come back. There's this weird catch catch 22 we find ourselves in. We need to uh, motivate our people to want to come back and serve at a reasonable level before we can see floods of people show up Mm. again from our community. Again, I think this is really the question of, of COVID that at the end of the day, Many of our churches saw huge degradations in the total number of people volunteering, like, you know, uh, you know, 90% decrease year over year kind of thing from March to March. And the problem with that is uh, when we volunteer at our church, it's one of the primary ways that we're living out our faith, that we're actually learning what it's like. Sure, it's not everything. It's, it's practicing. I'm not under any illusion that, you know, that serving in kids ministry or, you know, you know, handing out programs, uh, when we used to do that, uh, you know, that, uh, that is just like, it's, it's us practicing what it means to live an other centered life. And I would be concerned if, if as Christ followers, we just stop doing that. We stop finding ways to serve others because ultimately I think that's going to, um, have a, you know, negative, significantly negative impact on your, uh, you know, on your leadership and growth as an, as an individual who's attending your church. Hey, let me just pop in here for a second and interrupt our conversation by having another conversation. And that is, did you know that our recent book, After Amen, is now on Audible? And so if you're a person that likes listening to podcasts, you might like listening to a book. So just go over to Audible. You can pick it up there, download it, listen to it. And it was a lot of fun to read it and a lot of fun to share it. Now, back to the show. I'm glad that you brought that up. I had a conversation with somebody from one of our churches that said, you know, you guys forget that we, some of us actually miss serving. Mm-hmm. Um, and they said to our church leaders, you guys still get to serve every weekend. You're just doing it online. But for me, who, you know, used to help out around the church on a Sunday morning, I don't get that opportunity. I don't have a chance to serve. And I, and I never really thought about it that way. I thought there's a lot of people out there exhaling saying, oh, I get a little vacation now. When really, you're exactly right, it is an element of our spiritual growth that has gone dormant or has atrophied to some degree. Um, For those out there that are thinking, okay, but I'm not ready to go back yet, or I live far away from my congregation I connect with online, talk more about some of the ways you can serve, and I'm so glad that you said that, even while online, because we tend to think of service as, well, do I sing? Uh, do I pass out programs, like you said, or work with kids ministry? Um, 
Well, there's other things too. What are you seeing as some of these growing ways people can engage as volunteers, maybe on campus or certainly off? Yeah, great question. So you're, if to be honest, you're going to have to be persistent uh, because a lot of churches don't have a ton of volunteer opportunities at scale for people remotely. We're just figuring this stuff out. We're on the front end of what this thing looks like. So, you know, there, there's some of those obvious ones. There's the like helping with the chats in all the various locations we find ourselves in. It's hosting some sort of remote groups. You know, I think remote groups are here to stay. We've seen all kinds of, you know, great work across the country with, um, you know, where there's a whole segment of people who actually, I think one of the things we've learned is there's a whole segment of people who would prefer actually uh, to be remote in in a group discussion and would and actually that's probably a more enriching and lively experience for for them uh, because there's like this thing around them being more in control because they're in their own home and so they ultimately actually are willing to share and so i would say if you're not in one of those kind of remote groups i would say get into one of those groups i'd reach out to your whoever again your campus pastor or the online pastor or just the pastor at your church and say hey i'd love to help remotely it could also be just doing simple things like and i I don't know if you guys have done this. I should have asked you before we jumped on the, the call. But one of the things we've seen in so many churches in the season is they've pushed the old school phone tree. I feel like it's 1990s again. It's like, this is what we, st- when I started in the church in the nineties, we were doing this where we would call, call everybody and lots of churches, like large churches. I, I was, in fact, I'm doing some work with the church right now that we're trying to rebuild their um, I'm helping them work through their kind of process to rebuild their volunteer core. They're they're trying to recall 2,000 volunteers over the next 90 days. And on top of that, they're trying to make 10,000 personal phone calls to people who have connected to their church, kind of their second swipe through all of that. You know, if if you're listening in today and you're, you know, one, a remote person in your church and you're, you're, you know, you don't plan on coming back, even saying like, hey, are there people I could call? Are there people I could just call and say, hey, this, you know, I'm calling from real life. Just love you so much. We love, you know, what you're doing. How can the church be praying for you? Um, th- in a weird sort of way, that kind of high touch uh, stuff like that, I think has more value now than it did even, you know, two, three years ago. And so those, those would be a few ways. Um, you know, there are some churches that, that we're seeing, um, you know, they're doing online groups for kids. Um, again, that varies from kind of market to market. And so that could be another way you might say I'm interested in kids and there could be ways for you to help um, with that too. But again, you probably in most cases are going to need to be persistent. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to raise your hand and say, I would love to help. I, 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 I'm not you know, I, I don't, I'm not comfortable coming back or I don't want to come back or I'm too far away, but I really do want to help. And then just keep asking the question. And eventually somebody at the church will be like, ah, maybe we should really help this person yeah. <laughs> get plugged in. That's such a great, great point. And let me just say as a moment of a uh, commercial, if you're out there <laughs> and you want to serve at one of our churches, let me know, rgeorge at reallifechurch.org. I would love to put you to work because as you say, we have, we did that early on in the in the pandemic. We called every member on our database and we've been in the process of doing that again, just to engage people and to let them know we're open again and come on back and serve again, those kind of things. Um, and being able to have a lot of people to help us with that would be would be really huge. And there's some people that are extroverts and they've been dying during this pandemic and they definitely want to find a way to connect and socialize and all that. And this would be a really safe way uh, to do that. I'm glad you brought that up. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let me ask you this. From the perspective of a church leader, um, 
what's the best way to engage volunteers? Because if left to our own devices, it turns into us crying on stage, begging people to come back <laughs> and help us. Yes. Um, you know, what are you seeing people do that really is working well to engage volunteers? You mentioned the, the phone tree as a way to just kind of recall all of the, the church leaders and, and volunteers and get them engaged. Uh, what are some other things that you're noticing? Well, I think in some ways it's like back to the basics. It's it's back to thinking again, why do people volunteer with us? Why do they serve with us? And so my challenge for church leaders in this season is I really do think we have to think clearly around why is it that people engage in any teams or help in any way? And we like to think it's because they're like, people are fired up for the vision or like they really love what's happening here. And I think that could be true for a segment of our volunteers, but that's actually not, I don't think, the primary reason that your typical volunteer serves. Uh, my experience has been that volunteers typically serve at our church because they're looking for relationships. They're looking to connect. They want to uh, take this thing, even if it's a small church, even you know if it's 50 people at the church, that's an overwhelming number for a lot of people to connect with, mm-hmm. let alone if you're you know 500 or 5,000. You know, they want to find people to actually develop relationship with. So in this season, the thing I keep saying to church leaders is, I think we need to slow down and not jump so quickly to just dropping people onto a serving roster and saying like, oh, great. So you're coming back. You'll be every other week and, you know, kids, you know, the junior high boys room, you know, good luck. Um, I think we've got to insert a process before that, which is really a relational reconnection. It's, Mm -hmm. it's slowing down and saying, okay, how do we gather these people in a room, not to talk to us, not to listen to us, not to listen to what our plans are, but to talk to each other, to to engage with each other, to begin to rebuild those relationships. And so through campus expansion over the years, we did these things called connection events, which were uh, really pre, they're pre-launch way before where we've even started doing services and all that, where th- we would do them in the regions that we're launching. And they're, um, they're really social events. They're, they're des- events designed to help people connect with each other. So in the Northeast, to give you an example, um, you know, we would like rent a hockey rink and say, we're going to do like a skating night and which is like the most Northeast thing to do. And uh, so we would, you know, get everybody together and mostly it's about skating and there's like hot chocolate or, you know, apple cider. And then we would, um, you know, at the end of the night, we would take like 10 minutes and kind of give a bit of vision for where the church was going and a bit about the the new launch. Those kinds of things are the kinds of things we should be looking at in this season as our church is finding ways to get our people to reconnect, to socially reconnect, because if they don't, and there's a whole, you know, theory behind that, but if they don't know other people who are serving, they're going to be unlikely. And that's even more the case in this season. We have been socially disconnected by definition in this season. And so we've got to find a way to help our people get reconnected Mm -hmm. to each other before we then insert to them, oh yeah, by the way, can you get on this roster? Can you jump on this team? Mm, that's good. That's really good. Yeah, I think the relational element is huge and we, I think we've all recognized how much we need that. All right, I want to shift gears just a little bit because mm-hmm. you do work with a lot of churches and you work with a lot of church leaders. Mm-hmm. There is this uh, idea out there that if you are a member of a church you look at the people that are on staff at the church and you think a couple of things. One, they they must uh, be holy. Uh, two, they must have the greatest work environment ever you know, in the history of mankind. And three, I would love to be on a church staff. Right. That must be the apex of my, of my spiritual growth and that must be the most wonderful place to work. 
And you and I have both seen it when people come on staff of their church, weird things happen. It's not what they expected. These people mm-hmm. are real people with real problems. Mm-hmm. Um, for people out there thinking, boy, if I could just work at a church or my church, what words of caution could you give them? And for people that are actually taking that step, feel called to do that and, and are doing that, what words of maybe help could you give them as they take that step? Yeah, so this is the everyone loves the sausage. They may not like the sausage factory, uh, you know, <laughs> yes. story, right? That, you know, so we've seen this time and again as people have joined our, our teams over the years, particularly from the marketplace. I think the other thing, you're too, you're too polite, you're California. The other thing that people <laughs> would say is like when they join a staff team, they're like, well, that must be an easy job. It's kind of like the, you know, the, the, the old joke of like pastors only work an hour a week, right? It's some version of that. And time and again, people are surprised when they come in from the marketplace on uh, just how much work this thing is, how much effort goes in. Um, And then there is a, I like to call it a tangible intangibility. There's a there's a, a pressure that we feel uh, within the local church um, that is different than in other organizations. And I, um, I was, I spent some time working in the marketplace, and I have a lot of friends that work in the marketplace. And this is not demeaning anything that people are doing in, you know, in their world. But the stakes are so high in what we do that that can make things that in normal organizations would not feel like such a big deal. It can make them feel like a very big deal because of just the pressure of what we're, uh, what we're experiencing. And then on top of that, you take any environment where every seven days you're producing something. So in our case, it's, it used to be just services, but now we're doing services and like some version of an online show. Um, and we're, we're doing that (laughs) every single week. And it's, it's like a pressure cooker for folks. So I would say, and have said to, you know, to leaders who are coming in, particularly from the marketplace onto our team, um, that you know you need to slow down understand that the um you know you've got lots of skills and abilities and we want to learn how we can leverage those we want to see those you know make a difference in, in this community um but but you want to pace yourself on the on the on the way in you want to find a way to set healthy boundaries right from the beginning um you want to have lots of conversation around some of the side um you know, grind either grinder things or benefits. So it's like the stuff that's hard or the positive stuff. You want to talk about those and and just really um, have that conversation out in the open with someone that you can trust to say, yeah, there there is this weird moment as uh, folks in ministry. Um, we all carry people's a lot of people's private lives with them and you know we have in really any kind of church role even if you have just a few people that you're you know engaging with people end up kind of talking to you about what's going on in their world and that can be hard to carry that like in any caring profession and so you want to find a reasonable professional way to kind of uh, process that out mm-hmm. so uh, it's uh it's a tricky transition uh, you know i um I respect folks that are able to do that and want to welcome people who who do that. But uh, I would go in with your eyes wide open. It isn't, um, it's not all rosy. And there's that weird um, situation where, particularly if you're reporting to say the lead pastor of the church or reporting to someone who maybe you used to really look up to where you're like, okay, now I see that person every week. And um, that dynamic can change you know, some of that, uh, you know, how you learn from that person, how you, you know, follow that person. And I think it can enhance and be, and be better. Uh, but we just want to watch how that, um, yeah, how that, how that impacts you as you serve, uh, at the church. 
Yeah, it's um, it's always a little bit um, stunning for people when their, you know, spiritual advisor, mentor, pastor suddenly becomes their boss, and their church place of you know refuge has now become their workplace, and all these things that uh, were once one thing now become another. Uh, it can be a little bit disheartening, uh, and as you said, it can be wonderful as well because we recognize we're all broken people and trying to do life together and trying to make a huge impact in the world. So people come on a new staff, mm-hmm. whether you've come from another church, you've come from within the church, what encouragement do you give the new staff members of a church, maybe the first 90 days or first year, You know what to take serious, what to take personal, what to uh, uh, hold lightly? Uh, what kind of encouragement do you give them? Yeah. So first of all, I think on the front end, before you even get hired at a church, you want to dive as deep as you possibly can into understanding the vision and values of the church. And so, you know, listen to every message that seems to have that kind of tone to it, that, you know, if they do like an annual vision talk, Mm. um, you know, listen to those, listen to the last five years of those to understand, you know, how has the church been progressing? Um, You know, on the front end, I don't think you can do too much to try to learn and understand. Uh, As a team member who's coming onto the team, I really do think it's going to sound like stupidly simple, but um, in that, that first two or three months, you want to understand clearly what are the pain points that your supervisor has and then get real busy on trying to solve those pain points. Hmm. Um, so, you know, and even just asking them, usually if, if whenever you hire someone onto a team, and this is not just in the church, this is in general, whenever we're hiring someone onto the team, it's because there's a problem that we're wanting to solve. It's not that people are just like, I'd like to spend more money and hire people for no reason. There's like an actual um, problem that the organization, in this case, the church is trying to solve. And so you want to get real clear on what is that and um, and get busy trying to solve those problems to dive into that. And so I would say even in those first you know, couple weeks to even ask that point blank of your supervisor, what, what can I do that's the most helpful for you? What is the area that is most important? The other thing, just practically when you're coming on to a church staff, I would challenge whoever is hiring you Um, I would say, listen, I want to spend a disproportionate amount of time in this first 60 days, 90 days. Would it be okay for me to, to just get to know a lot of people? And I, I, I'm wondering if you have a list of 50 people or 20 people or some big number, whatever sounds like a big number to you that I should engage with, who are the people I should talk with and get to know again, letting your supervisor define that, get, get from them. Hey, here are the people. Um, and then get busy actually getting out and talking to them, having, you know, I know it's a bit of a weird season in different parts of the country, but like booking zoom calls, if that's what you need to do, or, you know, having endless amounts of, you know, endless coffee dates at Starbucks, you know, talking with folks and, and, you know, having a bit of a structure to kind of learn from them. Um, but then also just trying to kind of build your relational network as quickly as you possibly can. So those would be two things. One, check, check with your supervisor, get real clear on what are the pain points they want you to solve. And then second, I would say disproportionately invest in those early days relationally, actually getting to know people. Um, because, you know, we want to ultimately when people are, when we're looking to solve problems, the thing that should always go off in our brain is who can I do this with? How can I solve this problem with someone else? Not, you know, Hey, this is all on me. I got to figure out this myself. So I'm so glad you said that. That's such a great point. I mean, having been where I am for 18 years, I've noticed that when staff don't work out, when it just isn't a fit and, uh, you know, they, they leave on their own or we have to ask them to leave. Mm-hmm. There's usually one common denominator and that is they don't have any friends on staff. Right. 
And building that relational component is really huge. It is not just about doing the job. It is about doing it with other people. And, you know, certainly if you come from the corporate world, you don't believe it when I tell you, I want you to work your way out of the job. Mm -hmm. I want you to give your job away to somebody else. You tend to think, well, if I do that, then I don't have a job. No, now you become indispensable to us and we have to have you. So such a great point. Um, I want to honor your time. So I'm going to ask you one more question. And then I have just a variety of what I want to call lightning round questions to throw at you (laughs) just for fun's sake. But you you have dealt a lot with multi-site churches. You've been part of multi-site churches. What growing trends do you see of multi-site? And the reason I ask that is you see some churches doubling down on more multi-site, some churches going, nope, it's just physical and digital. And some saying, no, it's just one location, like we saw with um, Mecklenburg Community Church when they decided to go back just to one. What are you seeing happening right now? Yeah, so I think one of the things that COVID taught us was more campuses with smaller attendance is there's some real advantage to that. (laughs) There's some real advantage to have more locations rather than less locations. And churches that have had a multiplicity of of physical locations, it does give you more options. It gives you more opportunities to um, invite people to be a part of your church. And so uh, to me, I think there is a real trend or opportunity on the merger side, or what I prefer to call rebirth. You know, we've seen an acceleration of that in this last year, churches that I coach have been through from like first contact to that merger closing. And then, you know, all the rebranding and all that has happened within this kind of intra COVID period. And uh, I think we're going to see that accelerate. It connects to part of what we talked about earlier. Um, There is a leadership crunch in the local church. There are not enough, um, uh, there are not enough kind of senior leaders to take over all these people who may be transitioning uh, down the road. And I think we're going to see some of those will end up becoming merger opportunities as senior leaders look for ways to step out mm. and or or post after the senior leader steps out, uh, the kind of the leadership structure that's left there is trying to figure out where to go next. One thing that you, they could do is to say, hey, what if we merged with another church? And so I if I was, if I'm a multi-site church today, uh, one of the things I would be dedicating some slice of time in your leadership um, t- schedule to reaching out to other churches to figure out how you can help other churches because there will be opportunities down the road uh, that could, you know, just be incredibly fruitful for the gospel for sure. That's great. Hey, this has been awesome. Thank you for your time. Um, I want to just, uh, uh, for fun's sake, because I had so many thoughts come up my mind while you were talking, I jotted some of these down. So I'm always intrigued by people that are Gen Xers because I feel like we have a connection. Um, so I want to ask you about that. I want to ask you about uh, being Canadian <laughs> uh, and some great resources for people. So here we go. Are you ready for the lightning round? Ready. Oh, I'm so ready. <laughs> okay. One <laughs> sentence or less. Uh, Pearl Jam or Nirvana? Oh, <laughs> Pearl Jam. I saw him. In, I saw him at uh, when I was in New York City. This is more than one certain. I saw them on uh, Jimmy Fallon, and so which was really cool. I'm not a huge Pearl Jam fan, but saw them, which was uh, really cool. So I saw them back in '93. Yeah, right after their second album came out, it was just <laughs> phenomenal. So that's great. Uh, yeah, I'm definitely a fan. Okay, um, tell me something that's true about Canadians that everybody assumes, and you go, "Yep, that's right." Hmm. Oh, that's a good one. So this is probably not going to be helpful, but there's a um, there's a, a weird anti-American kind of undercurrent in the in the Canadian culture 
Um, so Canadians come across as like super polite. That's what everyone knows. Like, oh, they're super polite, which I think is actually generally true. I think that's actually true. But for whatever reason, and this is me speaking to your Canadian listeners, if if there's any of them beyond my mom, that like I think sometimes we we just look down at Americans too much for some reason. And so I I've that's been have I've always found that strange and i would say i've increasingly found that weird over this last year particularly and so that's that's one of those things but if you were to ask most canadians they would say oh yeah that's true yeah there are this uh you know this thing that's funny okay what's something that's false about canadians but everybody assumes it to be true oh it's i would say all the like bob and doug mckenzie all that kind of like uh you know beer drinking backwoods you know that that's country is full of that and although there are definitely those people like similar when i lived in new jersey you meet people who are could be on the jersey shore there are those kind of folks it's not you know it's way more multicultural and you know cosmopolitan than that uh best book you read during the pandemic oh that's a great question. So actually, I just reread my friend Christine Kreischer's book, Stop Recruiting, Start Retaining, um, which, which, so I read it before, but I read it with fresh eyes this time around as we've been thinking about how do we help um, churches re-engage volunteers. And so that that one is one that comes to mind right quickly. Love that. Haven't heard of that one. Okay. Give us uh, this last question. Give us a podcast we should be listening to besides Unseminary and Leading Simple yeah great question so i've really been enjoyed the economist it's a um a newspaper out of england they have a podcast that they're doing right now a series a short run series they don't know how long it's going to go on on vac- the vaccination process particularly in COVID. it's just all literally on the vaccination process and it's kind of like they talk about their, their kind of shorthand joke is they're reporting from the sharp end of the vaccination race around the world and it's fascinating to hear you know this our future as a planet is going to be tied to what happens in this vaccination thing. And so it's interesting to kind of get, um, you know, a global perspective. I feel like we're so local. Like I know where the, you know, where the Pfizer ones are available around the corner. What's happening in other parts of the world is kind of an interesting thing to listen in on. That's so great. Good stuff, buddy. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, It's been an honor to have you on the show. And I really appreciate all your help for church leaders that you've done over the many, many years. Thanks so much. I appreciate you, Rusty. And thanks for what you're doing here. Well, that was so fun. I love his interaction and certainly his thoughts on pop culture in the 90s. Uh, Make sure you check out the Church Growth Flywheel book and all things at Unseminary. And I think you've probably got a church leader that you think could benefit from this. So just share it with them. Get the word out and let them know there's help for them. Uh, Take a moment and share it with a friend. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you make sure to get all the bonus content and also every episode delivered straight to your phone. And if you could, would you write us a review? Some of you have written some really, really kind reviews, and I'm so grateful for that. But if you do that, that would certainly help us get the word out there. Next week, author, speaker, trainer, and social justice advocate, Danielle Strickland, another Canadian. Uh, She's going to join us, and you will definitely be inspired. Thanks for listening to Leading Simple, Help for the Overwhelmed. Take a moment and subscribe to the podcast so you get it delivered every week. And subscribe to the Rusty George YouTube channel for more devotionals, messages, and fun videos. Thank you for listening to Leading Simple.